Good morning, everyone. We have a mystery this morning. We have a murder mystery this morning. We have a whodunit. The victim, Jesus of Nazareth, called King of the Jews. The suspects shown here during his trial are the governor, Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor sent to keep peace in Jerusalem. Other suspects down here in the front, the Jewish priests who dragged Jesus here just this morning. And behind them, the mob of Jewish citizens crying out, crucify him. Who of these are responsible for the death of Jesus? As we open our trial today, uh, I begin with Exhibit A, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15. See if you can begin to formulate your verdict. Very early in the morning, the leading priest, the elders, and the teachers of religious law, the entire high council, met to discuss their next step. They bound Jesus, led him away, and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, you have said it, which is kind of the Greek way of saying whatever. Then the leading priest kept accusing him of many crimes, and Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer them? What about all these charges they're bringing against you? But Jesus said nothing, much to Pilate's surprise. He's already spent all night in a fake court with false witnesses. Why get too excited about this one? Now, it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner, anyone the people requested. One of the prisoners at that time was Barabbas, a revolutionary who had committed murder in an uprising. The crowd went to Pilate and asked him to release a prisoner as usual. Would you like me to release to you this king of the Jews, Pilate asked, for he realized by now the leading priest had arrested Jesus out of envy. But at this point, the leading priest stirred up the crowd to demand the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus. Pilate asked him, then what should I do with this man you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, crucify him. Why, Pilate demanded, what crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, crucify him. So to pacify the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip and turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. This morning, you're going to hear arguments that the Jewish priest and the mob killed Jesus, that Pilate was forced to do that by the actions of an unruly mob. Today, you're also going to hear arguments that Pilate acted completely alone, that the Jewish mob and the priest were uh, helpless victims of a cruel dictator who had no power to overturn his unjust execution of Jesus. This morning, you're going to hear arguments that God is responsible for the death of Jesus, that it was the will of God so that we could all be saved. You will hear this and much more on the people's court. So, Um, First, I want to address probably what I think is the most dangerous verdict that you could reach this morning. The most dangerous verdict is that God is to blame, that God is to blame for the death of Jesus. Killing Jesus is the greatest sin and the greatest tragedy of Scripture. And yet I've heard Christians say that maybe we ought to thank Pilate and the priest and the mob because if they hadn't killed Jesus, then he couldn't raise from the dead. And if he couldn't raise from the dead, then we couldn't have Easter and salvation and all of those good things. That's an interpretation, but I think that's a very strange view of God. To say that he would do something so horrible so that he could bring something good out of it. If you had a friend who set your house on fire so that they could come and rescue you. 
Wouldn't you think about not having that person as a friend anymore and be wondering what they might dream up for you next? I prefer to think of it this way. Uh, That God knew we were going to reject him and knew we were going to crucify his son and yet he came anyway. This is the glory of God. And think about it. I think you'll find that it's true. God does not bring horrors to your life so that then he can bring some good stuff out of it that makes you grateful for it. That's about like the friend who set your house on fire in order to rescue you. But some of you have had horrible things happen to you. And some good things have come out of it. But this is the glory of God. It's that when horrible things happen, our God is able to turn them and bring good out of it. And that's God's glory. And that's a good God. But he's not responsible for those horrible things. God is not responsible for the death of Jesus. But it's just like him, isn't it? To take the greatest sin humanity has ever committed and twist it and turn it into the greatest good, salvation that humanity could ever receive. That's his goodness. So God is not responsible for the death of Jesus. So who is... I think the next most uh, dangerous verdict that we could reach was that Pilate acted completely alone. Um, Now, this is taught in many seminaries all over the West, especially. And here's how they get to that story. Uh, They say that uh, this entire story that we just read was invented, invented by people that weren't even Jewish, probably a hundred or so years after these events in order to... uh, make the Jews the bad guy and make Pilate the good guy so that then the church could cozy up to the Roman Empire. That's taught in seminaries all over the place. Now you might ask, why would Jews write stories like this trashing themselves? Um, Well, they say, well, then then they add this to the story. Well, that's right. The whole New Testament's forgeries. Uh, None of these things were written by anybody who ever saw Jesus. These were all written hundreds of years later just to give, give more power to the Romans. And that's your Bible. And a lot of ministers walk out of church with that education. Why would someone go to that length to restructure the history of the Bible? They're trying to prevent racism, which is a good thing. They're trying to prevent racism against Jewish people. Jewish people have suffered horribly from before scriptural times, through it, and even up to our day. And, and one of the things they suffer for is, well, look how they took part in the killing of Jesus. So the thought is, if we can restructure history so they're not responsible for that, maybe that would help with the racism piece. Uh, first of all, I, I never think you want to restructure something that's true just to try to get a good end. And, and two, I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it's necessary because this is not a racist account you, because Mark, who's writing it, is Jewish. And when a Jewish writer is telling you what's going on in his own city, he's not racist. He's just giving you the news. When, when Estella Huerta, the head of the um, a, a community in Juarez that we support, she called us a few years ago and she said that the Mexican police had unlawfully arrested and detained her son. She asked for our prayers. We did not say to her, now Estella, don't be racist against the Mexican police. Estella's Mexican. She lives there. She can say anything she'd like about the town in which she lives and the people of whom she is a part of. That's not racism. That's giving the news. It's the same with these these passages. You don't need to restructure and and make the, the Bible irrelevant and written by forgers and all these other stories in order to protect the story. The story stands as written. Pilate did not act alone. 
there were local Jewish people involved. The next most dangerous verdict I think you could reach was that Pilate is actually a good guy who's trying to rescue Jesus from the Jewish priests and the Jewish mob. Now, I understand how we get there. There's a couple of lines in this text that kind of sound like they're going that way. I want to tell you that Pilate wanted you to think that they were going that way. In order to make this case that Pilate was not actually trying to set Jesus free, I want to talk a little bit about tone of voice. And to give us a quick lesson on tone of voice, we're going to go to Gandalf the Grey, Magneto. Sir Ian McKellen, before he was a famous movie star, was a Shakespearean actor. And I found this video from the 1970s uh, where he does a little lesson on tone of voice using some Shakespeare. So, uh, Put on your pinky up masterpiece theater and let's uh, have this lesson on tone of voice real quick. In style and the kind of text which is the norm in the theater and film and television today, i.e. the deliberate attempt to make everything as natural and lifelike as possible. So let's look at an example. Give us uh, the opening line of The Merchant of Venice. In truth, I know not why I am so sad. Now, that simple line can be said in an infinite number of ways. On the one hand, you could go for the mood and the quality of it. Try it sadly. In truth, I know not why I am so sad. Or now try it humorously. In truth, I know not why I am so sad. <laughs> now, now try and ask what is Antonio's intention. Perhaps it's to try to explain himself. In truth, I know not why I'm so sad. Yes, or try to do it as avoiding explaining yourself. In truth, I know not why I'm so sad. Or try to make light of your sadness. In truth, I know not why I'm so sad. And one more, try and put an end to the conversation. In truth, I know why I'm so sad. So. So our question is, if we put this trial of Jesus up here on the stage, how would Pilate be saying these things? It makes a big difference. For instance, when he offers them the criminal Barabbas, the crowd went to Pilate and asked him to release a prisoner as usual. Would you like me to release to you this king of the Jews? Does he say it with the, hey, I have an idea voice. This will smooth things over. Or does he say it with the tricky Dr. Evil voice? Because the text says by now he'd figured out they had only arrested Jesus out of envy. Well, then perhaps you'd like me to release to you the king of the Jews? <laughs> I think he's saying it with the, envy, uh, with the tricky voice. And here's why. Pilate's been wondering since this morning started, why are they bringing this guy to me? I'm only here to try Roman citizens. This is a local guy, a local matter. They can handle this. What do they need me for? Oh, This is a popular guy. If they kill this guy, they're going to have a bunch of their own people mad at them. So in they trot so they can get this evil foreign dog to kill their popular rabbi for them. And then all the heat falls on me. That's why the text says Pilate had figured out that they had only arrested Jesus out of envy. More importantly, if he wants to set Jesus free, why does he keep saying, what about your king of the Jews and this guy you call king of the Jews? They hate that title. He's needling with them. He never uses, calls him Jesus. He keeps calling them king of the Jews. He's just making them crazy. 
If he wanted him to set Jesus free, he would not keep calling him that. Furthermore, if he actually thought Jesus was king of the Jews, Pilate would kill him himself because that's Pilate's job to make sure there's no king of the Jews pop up here except for the one that the Romans pick. He's not setting Jesus free. He's flipping this situation back onto them. They came so they could have a Roman kill a popular rabbi for them. But he's painting them into a corner where they're going to have to demand it for themselves. He's not saving Jesus. He's transferring responsibility back to them so that when it turns bad, he'll be able to bring up a wash bowl and go, I was just doing what I thought you all wanted. What about the part where they cry out, crucify him? And Pilate says, why, Pilate demanded, what crime has he committed? Is that his tone of voice? He's surprised. I can't believe you guys. This guy's so nice. Why would you want something like that? Or does he say it with fake surprise? What? Crucify him? Oh my, what could he have done to want you to call for that? other than be way more popular than you guys. I think he's using the fake surprise. And here's my evidence. Why is he asking the crowd for the sentencing to begin with? Even in a democracy, we don't go out on the courthouse steps and go, okay, everybody, show of hands, what's the sentence going to be? That's not how it's done. And it really wasn't how it's done in their time. They didn't vote on anything. Guys like Pilate took care of this. Pilate has three goals today, and none of them is to let Jesus go. Goal number one, he just wants to get through the Passover. He hates the Passover. This is that holiday when Jews from all over the Roman Empire come swarming into Jerusalem and stay for a week. Uh, There's about five groups of them, and they don't like each other, and he has to keep the peace for a whole week and then get everybody sent home. And that's his second goal. He does not want to riot. He doesn't want a riot started by them or started by him or started by what he did or didn't do. No riot. He's trying to... And third goal, I believe Pilate is trying to uh, one-up these Jewish priests who are always playing these little needly power games with him. By the way, here's our best evidence that they were not powerless victims of Pilate. A few years after this event, these, these Jewish priests actually send enough letters and send enough representatives to Rome that they get Pilate fired from the governorship of Palestine for being too brutal. So there was a power struggle going on between Pilate and the Jewish priest. And in the end, the Jewish priest won that power struggle and Pilate was recalled by the Caesar. So no. Pilate's not trying to set Jesus free. He's just another politician this morning who licks his finger, sticks it in the air, sees which way the wind is blowing, and then does what is right for him. And so our verdict is this. They all killed Jesus. Pilate was in on it. The priests were in on it. The mob was in on it. The pagans were in on it. The Jews were in on it. The powerful were in on it. The powerless were in on it. They all played their part. The most haunting thing for me this morning is how similar we are to them. They chose Barabbas over Jesus. They chose a guy they knew was violent, had committed murder, was trying to overthrow the Roman Empire. They said, let him go to run around on our streets again. We'd rather have someone like him than someone like Jesus. I'm afraid that we do that too. 
Look at all of our movies and TV shows and even cartoons. They all have the same storyline. There's a good guy trying to mind his own business, but he gets pushed into a corner. And doggone it, he has no choice but to kill a bunch of people and blow a bunch of stuff up. And we will go see that movie and watch that show over and over again and cheer for that storyline. And then we we live out that storyline in our own lives. You know, we get pushed into a corner at home. So we, we, you know, we yell at everybody. We lose our temper. We make a big production. Of course, we regret it later. We get pushed into a corner at work. And so we decide, well, we're going to be aggressive and we're going to be deceitful and underhanded and unethical. And of course, it comes back to bite us later. We create this contentious culture in our own country, in America, where people don't trust one another anymore. And then when it erupts into violence... When it erupts into police violence, we say, well, they had to keep order. You have to have violence to keep order. And when it erupts into mob violence and looting and destruction, we say, well, they had to get their message out. No one was listening. You have to have violence to get your message out. We admire people not because they're good. We admire them because they get something done. Like Barabbas. We kill Jesus over and over again. We would kill Jesus if we were there that day. I'd like to think, oh, I, I would have stuck by Jesus. But all 12 of the disciples ran away. So I'm guessing I probably would have run away too. And we kill Jesus over and over again. Every time we choose violence and power and getting it done. It, we kind of take this attitude with Jesus in our world. Jesus, you're good for Sunday. You're good for kids. You're good to give old people something to do. But when it comes to getting something done or being a leader, we need some power and some violence. And if you're going to threaten that and speak against that, then we may just have to crucify you again. We're going to pay a price for that. They all paid a price for what they did. The Jewish temple was destroyed. Not one brick left on top of another 40 years later because guys like Barabbas started a war with Rome. And Rome fell 200, 300 years later because guys like Pilate had oppressed one too many people one too many times. And I'm honestly afraid that we're next if we don't change our ways, and I mean right quick, to the ways of Jesus. And the ways of Jesus are... When you want to get something done, and when you want to lead, and when you want to choose a leader, you crown all that with sacrifice and love. If it's not crowned with sacrifice and love, it's going to be trouble. Now look at all the times in human history when a group of people went from having no rights to having rights in one generation. Look at all the times in history when that happened quickly. You will find the church and the way of Jesus Christ at the center of that. Civil rights movement? Women's right to vote, freeing children from child labor, the end of the slave trade, the end of slavery, the end of uh, wife burning in India, the end of foot binding in China. All these movements where people go in one generation from being nothing to being everything. You will find the way of Christ Jesus at the center of that. Now, we can't blame the world for not knowing this. That's on us. How can they know if they have not heard? How could they hear if it has not been preached? So that's on us. I mean, all they could know is power and violence. Now, our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit are already prepared and know better. 
We do have stories in our culture, and they are our best stories that teach us the truth about these things. Harry Potter. Harry Potter did not kill Voldemort. Harry Potter's sacrificial death undoes the power of Voldemort. In fact, the sacrificial death of Harry's mother is what protected him in the first place. Frodo does not kill Sauron. He just keeps walking toward that volcano no matter how heavy that ring gets. Luke Skywalker did not kill the emperor, remember. He threw down his lightsaber. He said, I will not fight. I'm a Jedi like my father before me. And in that moment, the Sith just sort of imploded and destroyed itself right there in front of him. These stories last because they echo the way of Jesus, what Jesus says about leadership and changing the world and getting things done. And our heart knows it, and that's why they become our best stories, and they will never go away. Look at you and I. We've gotten ourselves into a lot of trouble, maybe this week. Looking out for number one, finances, marriage, relationships, sexuality, career, Maybe just our own sense of, do we have a purpose in this world? It's all sin, but Jesus says, I have defeated that sin. And I have prepared a way for you, a new life for you that has all the things you're seeking. Come follow me, I'll show you where it is. How do you follow the way of Jesus? You study his word, like we just did here today, and try to live differently. Today we learned about power and violence. You pray, whatever it is that you're lacking your life, whatever it is that's coming at you, you say, Lord, I'm going to follow your way. I'm not going to take this into my own hand. Lord, I'm going to turn it over to you. That's really, really hard right now, but I trust in your power. I want to see what you can do with this. And then when God does what he does, your faith grows. You say, okay, he is real. I wasn't sure, but he is real. He did make a difference. I'll try it again. You become a follower of the way of Christ. How do you do that? You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have all the T's crowded. You just have to have enough to say, God seems real enough to me to start down this path and see what happens. I've already done my path and it always ends in the same way. You can start with a prayer. You know, prayer sounds like this. You can pray it now. You can just hear it and think about it. But prayer goes like this. I mean, roughly like this. Uh, Father, I have tried my own way. And it's not saving me. It's not freeing me. It's not giving me purpose. Lord, I don't know everything about you. I don't have all the questions answered. But I, if you're here, can you help me with my unbelief? Can you take this situation that I'm so worried about? If I leave it with you, Lord, that's so hard to do. But if I leave it with you, will you take it? Can you bring about the change that I hope for? Can you change me? I'm not who I want to be. Father, I'm open to the way of Jesus. It's not going to hurt me. I am open to your Holy Spirit. I don't believe you'll harm me. Show me a new way. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.